0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. This is the message we've all been excited about. I could hardly wait, you could hardly wait, and for those of you that are guests, you're here for the very first time. We're in a series of sermons dealing with these seven deadly sins, and you're shaking your head, wondering why in the world you chose this Sunday to come to the Church of God Holiness when we speak on gluttony. This is your lucky day. I'm glad you came and and really, we're going to have a good time today, maybe. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles to the two scriptures that will anchor our thoughts: Ezekiel chapter sixteen in the Old Testament, and Galatians chapter five, verse twenty two And while you're finding those those scriptures, let me say that when it comes to gluttony, we immediately think of those people who are overweight. And and by the way, they say that about 70% of Americans are either overweight or obese. 70% of Americans overweight or obese. But this morning, there may be some people who do not struggle with their weight, and and you're actually looking forward to this lesson because you want to watch the rest of us squirm. Not so fast, bud. If if that's your attitude, if that's our attitude, we probably need to come to the altar right now and confess the sin of pride, and the sin of pride is just as bad or worse than the sin of gluttony. But anyway, gluttony doesn't just hit those of us who are overweight. Rather, the sin of gluttony includes skinny dudes, because pardon the bad pun, but gluttony is broader than just your waistline. It extends far beyond our eating habits. Now, the Bible obviously doesn't address gluttony as frequently as, as it does some other sins, a lot, a lot of other topics. But it does talk about it enough to where we can establish the fact that gluttony is a sin. Let's jump into our scripture. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Sodom's sins were remember Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom's sins were pride, laziness, and gluttony, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and did loathsome things, so I wiped her out, as you've seen. Now, for those of us, like many of us here today, that were raised in a Midwestern conservative church setting, when, when we mention the city of Sodom, we probably think of another sin that the city was better known for. You remember that sin? The sin of homosexuality. And if you read the book of Genesis and other places, you can read the graphic details. And I mean, it gets pretty graphic as it talks about that situation. But that obviously wasn't the only sin in that city because here we find three other sins that were prevalent enough to where God felt it was important to document in His Word. And it's interesting that each of these three sins somehow found their way into the deadly seven sins that we're discussing in the series. Pride, we talked about that a few weeks ago, and then it mentions laziness. Did you know that your laziness, did you know that my laziness is a sin. We say, boy, so and so, you know, they are lazy. Did you know that when you're calling them lazy, you're calling them a sinner? And we will deal with laziness a little bit later on in this series. But then the third sin in this list is the sin of gluttony. Okay, that's the Old Testament. Let's move to the New Testament. We're going to look at a scripture, and this scripture will give the virtues that we want to replace gluttony with. Remember, we said that our goal is not to just eliminate these deadly sins. Rather, we want to replace them with a godly virtue, because there's a biblical principle, if you read in the New Testament, that, that if we don't replace it with something else, then that old sin is going to come back sevenfold. It'll come back with a vengeance. And this scripture is commonly known as the fruit of the Spirit. And so in just, just a few seconds, we're going to read this verse together with great enthusiasm. Do you know what that means? Great enthusiasm. And you probably aren't used to reading the scripture from this particular translation. It's going to sound a little bit different, but it's good for us to kind of get out of our comfort zones a bit. So on the count of three, with great enthusiasm, I want us to read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. One, two, three. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's begin by defining gluttony. Gluttony is the overindulgence or lack of self-restraint in matters of food, drink, items of wealth, or positions of status. And the English word gluttony comes from the Latin word gula, and it means to gulp, to gulp down, to swallow. Now, some people may say, well, Pastor, why is gluttony even a sin? I mean, it doesn't hurt anybody else. Obviously, it'll hurt you. But it's really not a sin against anybody else. Well, Pope Gregory the Great, who back in the 4th century compiled a list of sins that we call the seven deadly sins. And then, uh, what, seven, eight, uh, 700 years later, Thomas Aquinas kind of uh, adapted those a little bit. But he, he wrote this. Pope Gregory wrote this, unless we first tame the enemy dwelling within us, namely our gluttonous appetite, we will not be able to engage in spiritual combat. And that's true because the root of gluttony that causes out-of-control appetites regarding food many times will cause us to be out of control with other disciplines. And spiritually, we won't be able to combat things that come up. In our lives. And so today, with with God's help, and I always emphasize with God's help, I want to give four steps to help us overcome the sin of gluttony. And I encourage you to take notes because the first letter of each of the four points will form an acrostic that will reveal the secret in overcoming our tendency towards overindulgence. So make sure you take notes there in your bulletin. Here's the first step find and admit our specific areas of gluttony now did you notice i said areas plural because again gluttony is a root issue and if we struggle with the over intake of food more than likely we will also struggle with over indulgence in other areas as well so so the first step is to identify and admit the areas of gluttony in our lives and and for the next few minutes it may be rather painful But I think necessary, we're going to look at what I'm calling six villains. These are six common areas of gluttony. There are many more. We will just limit it to six. Let's get the first one out of the way that is probably the most painful. The first area of gluttony that many of us struggle with, 70% of us as Americans, is in our food intake. Now, I think that there are several reasons that Americans have such a tendency towards gluttony regarding their food intake. One is that restaurants... Have buffet lines where you pay the same price for one trip or ten trips. And I know how you think. Because it's the way I think. We're all wired the same way. But we think, I need to get my money's worth. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's, that's what we say. I don't want to pay 15 bucks for, for a little tiny plate of, of food. I, I mean, that's, that wouldn't even please God because that wouldn't be good stewardship. I mean, that's kind of what we think. That's the first reason we sometimes default towards gluttony. Another reason is because in restaurants that don't have a buffet line, many times they serve portions large enough for two people. And I know, and I know this sounds really cheap, but Faith and I many times, and we've been with others of you that are cheap like we are, we will often split a meal in a restaurant, and and this isn't just to be cheap, but we can share a plate and many times still have enough food to take home for another meal. You know, the portions that we're used to getting in restaurants are more than enough. There's yet another reason. I think we have a tendency towards gluttony. Many of us were taught to not leave food on our plates. I was told by my parents, as many of you were told by your parents, that starving kids in Africa would love to have the food that you're wanting to leave on your plate. Anybody ever hear that from your parents? Yeah? And so, therefore, they told us you can't be excused. You can't go play. You can't have any dessert until you clean up your plate. So we've been programmed that leaving any food on our plate is bad. And there's something to be said about learning how to judge portions and and use discipline to eat what you put on your plate. That's not all bad. But so many times I found myself stuffing my face simply because I didn't want to leave anything on my plate, even though as a family that eats leftovers, we are a pro-leftover family. We will sometimes eat them a couple of times, but after having the same leftovers two or three times, we get tired of them. And and what do we do with the rest? Throw it away. So my question is, what's the difference with throwing food away from your plate or from the refrigerator? And, And again, I think there's merit in helping us all judge portions and and trying to help our eyes to not be bigger than our stomachs. And to learn the discipline of eating things that we may not necessarily love. And, and if you do any traveling abroad, you will have to eat something that you don't like. Or you may starve to death. Well, there, there's one more reason for our, our tendency towards gluttony. And that is because most of our gatherings are centered around food. And I happen to love this. But we think that the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in the name of the Lord, there must be food. And that's not in the scripture, but we wish it were. And, and again, I, I, I love that. And, and, and you all are incredible at, at our potluck gatherings. And, and, and Jim was talking about this. But, but you all know how to cook. And as I've traveled around the country, not all parts of the country know anything about salt. Some of them, I don't think they've been introduced to salt and, and, and seasonings. And, and it's like, oh, Lord Jesus, help me as I put this down, help it not to come back up again. But, but you all know how to cook. But I wonder if the pressure to always center our activities around food has maybe in some sense caused us to have a tendency to overindulge. Well, the second area that's out of control in our society is one that initially will not sound uh, like gluttony. And I'm actually combining two into one because they pretty much walk hand in hand. And that is in the areas of eating disorders and dieting. As you've already determined this, this um, we're going to put boots on the ground as we talk about this topic here. But eating disorders in, in the form of over, the overconsumption of food generally is what prompts the underconsumption of food that we call dieting, which leads to other eating disorders. And you don't need me to tell you this. But nutritionists are quick to point out that frequent dieting and crash dieting and fad dieting are typically not effective long-term or even healthy for us. Because many times dieting leads to excessive restricting of food, which is not sustainable. When we go off the diet, we gain it all back. And then some, why? Because we didn't change our eating habits. And eating disorders have become a major problem in our country. They say that and as I read this stat, I was shocked, but 30 million Americans 30 million Americans have some type of eating disorder. And I was studying eating disorders this past week and I knew some of them, but I learned about others, anorexia, you know, you've heard about that unhealthy and harmful restriction of calories, bulimia, self-induced vomiting, binge eating, eating large amounts of food, most of the time done secretly and privately, sometimes in the middle of the night. Another eating disorder that I did not recognize by its name, but, but it is an eating disorder. It's called Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. Sounds pretty complex, but it is very simple. It's having extremely picky eating habits. Did you know that's an eating disorder? You know, have you been around somebody that they pick? Stuff out of their salad or their lasagna or they're picky on a texture. If someone has an extremely picky uh, eating habit, I, they have avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Just so that uh, you know what that is. This is another new one to me, pica. That's eating non-food items such as paper goods, ice, plants, rubber bands. And even one site said talcum powder. Yeah, that's a new one for me. Here's another one I read about, rumination disorder. And this one actually is too, too distasteful, too, too gross for me to mention publicly. You can do the research on that. Don't do it right now. And so in the middle of a COVID pandemic that has taken a tragic number of lives, do you realize that many people also die every year due to eating disorders? One particular website said that 350,000 people die every year due to eating disorders or complications from eating disorders. And thanks to our friends at Hollywood, they contributed to this by basically defining beautiful as skinny, ugly as fat, which spurs on severe restrictions in eating and brings about binge purge behaviors that do serious harm to the body. And just for your information, um, not all societies believe that skinny is beautiful and and. Fat is ugly. In in the country of my birth, there in South America, if you're skinny, you're considered to be ugly. If you're fat, you're considered to be beautiful or handsome. Almost makes you want to consider switching your citizenship and moving to that country. Number three in our list of six villains of gluttonous behavior, addiction to materialism and consumerism. Gluttony is not just about food. It's about overindulgence in many areas, including shopping, spending, buying. The ease of Internet shopping today has brought about a lot of convenience, which we all love, but it's also caused us to become materialistic and addicted to buying and spending. and, And, you know, we laugh about it, make jokes about it in the days of having to Shop in a store, we called someone a shopaholic. Or we said, shop until you drop. But now shopping is done from our phones. And you know, free shipping and free returns and two-day delivery. It's so easy and even fun. And there's something within us. And, and I can relate to this. That there's something within us that, that finds satisfaction in buying stuff. Even... This is crazy, but there's some satisfaction in just buying a package of toilet paper. Uh, I mean there's there's something satisfying about clicking buy and then a couple of later's uh, of days later getting a package from FedEx or UPS or USPS and and from what I understand the brain chemical to blame for that is is the chemical dopamine. And if you want any information on that talk to your doctor or Contact Doctor Siri or Doctor Google, and you'll get a lot of information on that. But but that glut, gluttonous behavior in this area is one of the reasons why we have more clothes in our closets than what we need. In fact, do a little test this afternoon. If you go into your closet and that bar is sagging, about to break, with all of the clothes, and you don't have enough room for all of your clothes in your closet, and you got all of the closets full, and and you've got to rent out a mini storage unit for all of your stuff. Uh, nearly a year ago, I, I, I called the mini storage businesses in town to see about getting one, and, and uh, they almost laughed in my face. Um, and they said, You know what? They said, We're full. We've got a waiting list. We'll call you when one comes up. And, and for one of them, I've been on the waiting list for a year. And you know what? It shows that I'm not the only one that has too much junk. Or or how about this test? This is not just ladies, but this is men. If you can wear a different pair of shoes every day for two to three weeks or for some of you even a month without duplicating, maybe that's some evidence that we've fallen prey to
1: materialism.
0: Thank you so much for your amens. I just feel the love in this building right now. The fourth villain in this area is in the area of social media entertainment. Question, how much time do you, do you spend on social media? I mean, Do you have any idea? It would probably surprise us how long we're on social media, how long we're on our phones every day. And, you know, you you can have that come up, and it used to come up on my, uh, you know, on my phone, while you've had so many hours of screen time, this is either up or down from the weekly average, and and I shut that off, I didn't like to see that. and, and and by the way, this past week, I looked up the top 15 social media sites and platforms, and, and many of these sites are wonderful. They can have incredible benefits, uh, just as food is wonderful, but in, in excess, food is harmful, so in excess is social media harmful. And, and just for, I, I was wanting to educate myself a little bit this week, and I'll just kind of share with you what I learned, but Um, you know, 15 social media sites, the number one social media platform was Facebook. They say that seven out of 10 people are on that. And don't you dare come to me after the service and brag that you don't have a Facebook account. That doesn't mean anything. Typically, whenever I talk about this, somebody says, well, I don't even have Facebook. Well, that just probably means you're not very techy. Or, or maybe it means you're prideful, or, or whatever, you have different priorities. But number two is YouTube, and, and you can learn how to do anything on YouTube. You can learn how to build a rocket, how to change the brakes on your car. You can probably learn how to operate on yourself and take out your appendix. Just go to YouTube. Then you got WhatsApp, WeChat, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and again, these can be wonderful, but in excess, they can be destructive. When we overconsume in the area of social media and entertainment, it has its roots in gluttony. Here's another fun one consumption of alcohol and tobacco. I don't mention these. Those of you that are part of this church, I don't mention these very much, but every time I do, I get church people that quote Bible verses thinking I've never read those scriptures before. I have. First of all, let's talk about the consumption of alcohol. And I begin by saying that there are people that I know, they know when to say when, they drink in moderation, and they're probably closer to God than I'll ever be. So this point is not about, well, you took a drink of wine, you're going to hell. That's not about that. But when I think about alcohol, here's what I think of. I think of the countless homes that I personally have witnessed that have been destroyed because of alcohol. I think of the fact that every 48 minutes in our country, someone will lose their life to an alcohol-related accident. I think of the deaths from alcohol-related liver failure that leave children without a mommy or a daddy. And the statement that I'm about to make, again, is not a statement from a heaven or hell perspective, but did you know that there's really no logical, medical, spiritual reason for the consumption of any alcohol? Now you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. The Bible says to take a little wine for the stomach's sake. And, well, this scripture was directed to Timothy. Why? Because he had uh, stomach issues. And so wine was a prescription for medicinal purposes. And today we have medicines that do the same thing without taking a swig of moonshine. You you say, Joe, um," which which basically that's what it was. You know, back in those days, it was all homebrew. It wasn't like they could go to the grocery store and grab something. It was homebrew. So is Moonshine. (laughs) You you, you say, Joe, are are, are you so sheltered that you aren't aware that studies show that a little bit of alcohol consumption each day is actually good for you and can prevent heart disease? Are, Are you not aware of that, Joe? I'm aware that used to be the case. But are you aware that medical science is actually backing off from that statement? If you've kept up with the most recent medical finds... That is no longer an accurate statement that the CDC website, and and I challenge you to fact check me on this. This isn't just something that I dreamed up, but you can fact check me on this. But the website, CDC website, says that although past studies have indicated that moderate alcohol consumption has protective health benefits, such as reducing the risk of heart disease, after more research and studies, emerging evidence suggests that even drinking within the recommended limits, which would have been very low levels of of alcohol consumption, has been found to increase the risk for some types of cancer, even at low levels of alcohol consumption, listen, of less than one drink a day. That's the CDC website. In fact, two days ago, on Friday... This past Friday, another article hit the news and and it said that for those people 40 years and under, and I know that ship sailed a long time ago for me, for a lot of us, but 40 years and under, it says very clearly the consumption of any amounts of alcohol harms the body. 40 years and under. Now, it it went on and said that for those that were over 40, there might be some benefit for the heart, but then it opened you up to the higher risk of cancer and so... The bad basically outweighed the good. Not to mention, and this was interesting, I thought, man, it said that drinking, even small amounts of alcohol, caused the brain to age more quickly. So we always used to love the quote, say, well, it's actually good for us, did you know that? And that's not what science is now saying. And if you still want to quote that outdated information, you know that a few drinks is good for you. Studies have also shown that daily exercise and eating fruits and vegetables and not eating junk food and not drinking soda and not eating sweets will also improve your health. How closely do you follow that? <sighs> Aren't we having fun today? Aren't you glad you came to church? You could have been home suffering in the heat there. So... um, Well, one other thing, we're we're having a good time. You you, you say, (sighs) I'm having a good time, maybe. The, The Bible, you say, well, the Bible doesn't condemn drinking, it condemns drunkenness. And you're right. You're right, true. And that's why I've not made this matter a heaven or hell issue. I'm simply saying there's no logical, nor medical, no medical, nor spiritual benefit to drinking alcohol. Now, since two-thirds of you are mad at me, let me go ahead and make the other third of you <laughs> mad. When it comes to the use of tobacco, did you know that some studies say you lose 13 minutes of your life for every cigarette that you smoke? Not to mention the financial implications. And I got out my calculator this week, and and I did kind of a search, and find out, uh, I found out what the average uh, price was per pack of cigarettes and, but but if you smoke one pack of cigarettes per day, and you do it for 30 years, at the current national average price per pack, you will spend about $76,000 during that time. $76,000. Okay. You can buy all of the following with that money. I looked up the price of a Jaguar. Not a cat, but a car. And this would be kind of a, a, a base model, but you could buy a Jaguar plus a really nice Benelli shotgun. You can go to Hawaii and Tahiti and Alaska and still have enough money to get the latest iPhone. (laughs) All for the money that you will spend smoking a pack a day for 30 years. Not to mention that refraining from smoking will also save you in health care costs. One of the last villains, the last villain that I want to mention before I totally lose you, would be uh, the villain of work. Um, some people are married to their work. God designed our bodies to work six days and no more. And if you say, well, I work seven days a week, that's not a compliment to you. Laziness is a sin, but workaholism is also a sin. So before we move on to the second point, I want you just to think about your life and what are the areas in your life that are more prone to the sin of overindulgence? And the reason I want you to identify this, because whenever you identify, that's the first step in in dealing with this. And in Psalm 32, 5, it says, then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So we need to just acknowledge to the Lord. He already knows, but there's something about it whenever we admit it. Then he can come in and help us with this. Let's go to the next point of our acrostic that will help reveal the antidote for gluttony. Number two, ask God for God's wisdom before we consume. So if your area of overindulgence is food, pray before you eat and ask God for self-control. In fact, Jesus understood this, and Jesus gave us an example of always praying before he consumed food. And I hope you do that at your house. I hope you do that in a restaurant. I hope you do that as a regular basis. If your area of, of gluttony is smoking, then pray before you take a smoke. I know that sounds funny, but pray before you take a smoke. If it's drinking, pray before you drink that beer. If it's shopping, pray before you press, complete the purchase. If it's social media, pray and ask God for self-control. The Bible says that God orders our life when we pray, and, and gluttony is a distorted desire that holds us hostage And what prayer does is it brings order to our desires and frees us from being a hostage. Let's just quickly go back to the matter of food and illustrate how the desire for food has the potential to hold us hostage. On your way in today, um, you should have um, received a little packet of M&M's. And there uh, are are three typical reactions uh, for a gift like this. The first reaction is to tear it open and immediately eat them. And and some of you did this. You got the pack and said, finally, we get something out of church. (laughs) Finally. Been coming for years. Never got anything out of church. Finally got it. And so you tore it open. You ate them. You wadded up the trash. Put it in your pocket, hopefully not on the floor. But you ate them. You forgot about the M&Ms until I just now mentioned them and and this is probably the healthiest reaction of all the reactions I'm giving you. Second reaction, some of you, and I was out there kind of to spying on you. Some of you weren't very grateful to the offer of this precious gift of M&Ms. We, we tried to give you a packet of M&Ms. You didn't want them. And, and uh, for some of you, you're diabetic. Others of you, you're watching your weight. And, and so you basically said, get thee behind me. Uh, Satan, get thee behind me, Joe. But, but despite saying that, some of you couldn't resist the temptation. You ended up eating them. Now you're feeling guilty, wishing that you hadn't come to church, and you're considering suing the church for damages. <laughs> but then there's the third reaction. Ever since some of you received these M&Ms, you've been obsessed with them. And you wanted another packet. In fact, some of you were tempted to go outside and come back in hoping nobody would notice you'd already gotten one packet. That's right. Isn't that right, Ryan? Yeah. And, and furthermore, you're thinking about your neighbor's M&Ms, and, and they put them on the seat beside you. You can't get your eyes, your mind off of them, and you wish they would offer them to you or at least turn their heads so you could just grab it. And, and some of you that are obsessed with these M&Ms, what, what do you have, eight in here or ten, I don't know, you're, you're obsessed with them and you're not really overweight. There's a man by the name of Joey Chestnut. Anybody here hear of Joey Chestnut? Uh, he's involved in food competitions around the world. He's ranked number one in what they call the Major League Eating. And uh, 15 years now he's won the July 4th hot dog eating contest on Kony at Coney Island in, in New York. And He will typically eat between 60 and 75 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes, and uh, if, if you've never seen that, it's, it's actually kind of gross, but but he will blow his competition away, and I think it was at this last year he he ate like 20 more than the closest competitor. Joey Chestnut is six feet tall; he's not fat, but he can put down the food. So. His size, we would not identify him as a glutton. And just before I came up here, I saw Pastor Jim consume fifteen packages of M&Ms, and I mean, I counted them one, two, three, up up to fifteen, and he's like one of the skinniest guys I know. I'm just kidding there. But here's why I took time to tell this: because even though there's nothing sinful about food, they say there there are really no bad foods. It's all in the matter of amounts. But food can be the trigger. That causes that spirit of gluttony to surface. We often overeat or undereat because we're lonely or depressed. We often overshop because of issues of self esteem, and we think that buying new clothes or toys will help us feel better about ourselves. We often overdrink to cause us to forget about our problems. We use tobacco. Why? The nicotine calms our nerves. And the point that I hope you understand is that the sin of gluttony is a root issue inside that needs to be dealt with. And so that's why this point says we need to come to God before we consume and ask Him for help and wisdom. Number three. And after this point, some of you will be like on the wheel of fortune. You'll say, I'm ready to solve the mystery word. Number three. Set boundaries for our enough zone. Now, let me define the enough zone. The, the enough zone is a predetermined limit that I set in advance to control over consumption. In other words, this is where in advance, I, I say I'm only going to spend this amount when I open up the Amazon app or, or, or when I go to a store to shop, it may mean that I will pay cash instead of pus- putting it on a credit card. It may mean that I actually put myself on a monthly budget to limit my spending. Or when it comes to food, it may mean that I only eat half of what I receive at a restaurant, take the rest home. Maybe it'll mean that I will only make eight trips around the buffet line. It may mean that I will wait 10 minutes after I have the first portion before I have the second one to see if I'm full. It may mean that I limit myself to one pack of M&Ms only, without trying to steal the one from my neighbor. You know, I had to tell you, when uh, Carson and Lindsay picked these up from uh, Sam's, um, because I, I, I care about you all, I felt I needed to try them to make sure that they wouldn't be harmful. And so I, I, Mitzi was guarding them with her life, and I said, Mitzi, could I, could I have some M&Ms, please? And she said, well, which kind? I said, well, I, th- I think I need to try all of them. Because I don't want anybody to get sick off of them, and in the church, and so I, I feel I need to try them all, and and so she grudgingly let me take um, t- take take them all, and and uh, each kind, and and so uh, I went into my office, and was there minding my own business, and and I had a few, and then I had a few more, and she came in, and and she said, Joe, which kind do you did you like better, and uh, and she looked and there were no M&Ms on my desk. And she said, Joe, did you eat them all? I said, yeah, sorry, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. So I should have set some boundaries for my enough zone. The enough zone may mean that we budget our social media intake each day. The the enough zone is a checks and balances so we do not overconsume. And here we complete our word. Point number four gives it away by itself. Take the fasting challenge. Now, gluttony is trying to fill a spiritual vacuum with a physical remedy. And ultimately, our deepest needs are not going to be met through food or shopping or media or alcohol or work or tobacco. Our deepest needs will only be met through Christ Jesus. And if you're trying to meet these deep spiritual needs through any of these things, it's like taking Tylenol for a broken fingernail or taking cough syrup for an ingrown toenail. Now, fasting. We've all heard of fasting. Fasting is a Christian discipline that if you look back in the Old Testament, this discipline was practiced in the Old Testament and clear on up into the the New Testament. But... There are different ways that you can fast. Uh, one is temporarily giving up something that you hold dear to yourself. And so whatever your area of gluttony is, whether it's overeating or undereating or overshopping, or drinking or smoking, fasting is a way for you to hand control of that area over to God. I don't talk about this a lot, but for the last 25 years or so of my Christian life, I've been trying to consistently And regularly and weekly practice this spiritual discipline of fasting. I don't advertise it. I I believe it's between God and me. And I'm not going to pretend that I have always been 100% faithful to the discipline. Once in a while I have to grab myself by the neck and get back on track again. But this has been my one way to help combat my tendency to get out of control in certain areas of my life. Having said that. I would like to invite you to participate in a fast that we're just going to call the Summer Fast. And I'll invite all of you, those in the building, those of you that are listening or watching online, and those of you that are listening on the radio, I want to invite everybody to participate. This is a type of fast that we can all do, whether we're young or old. And here's what I would like for us to do. I I would like to challenge you to give up something specific for the duration of the rest of the summer. I think summer ends September 22nd. It's kind of like the fast that some people do during the season of Lent, you know, right before Easter time. And, and we're not going to be legalistic about this. Vacations, trips, I know other things will come up. But, but I want to challenge you for the next month or, or two. Again, you kind of decide what God wants you to do. I want to challenge you to give up something. If you struggle with food, maybe you will want to give up a certain food. Sweets or chips or Diet Coke Surely God would never ask us to give up our coffee. Identify your enough zone for that particular area and set some boundaries. If if your problem is shopping, you may want to put a freeze on all spending except for only the necessary items. If your area of gluttony is work-related, you may want to limit your work to 40 hours a week and take some vacation time. For drinking alcohol or, or smoking find a way to begin limiting the consumption of those. Now, now the Bible says that fasting is not something to announce, so we're not going to give out t-shirts and say, look at me, I'm fasting. We're not going to do that. However, for this fast, I would encourage you to share this with one or two other people for the purpose of accountability. Share it with your spouse or your best friend or You can share it with me if you want, Uh, and and if you do, I will try to faithfully pray for you and encourage you along the way. My email address is in the bulletin. Just drop me a line. But what I want to do is, as a church, I want to ask God to grow us and to teach us and to help us break the tendencies of overindulgence in our lives and replace it with self-control. And during this summer fast, here's the verse that I want us to uses our our key verse, maybe memorize this verse, pray this verse, say this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And I'd like for all of us, maybe on the count of three, with great enthusiasm, to read this verse that I'd like for it to be our key verse. One, two, three. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do all for the glory of God. And I pray that over the next few weeks, there will be just an incredible sense of the presence of God that would come into our lives. Because whenever we hand control over to Him, there's something that happens. You know, He replaces that void with Himself. And so I'm anticipating over the next several weeks that God's going to do something incredible in my life, in your life, In the life of this church. So there we have it. We made it through. You didn't leave, and I pray that God has spoken to us. You know, I'll just say the other topics ahead of us are easy. You know, we've just got topics like greed and lust and laziness. Piece of cake from now on out. No biggie. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. Let's pray. God. I know some of our comfort zones have been violated today. Lord, we like to do what we want to do and we want to do it, and we don't like anybody to tell us what to do. And God, whenever we talk about these things that are so precious to us, it, it really... God, sometimes it gets tense, and God, whenever we're fighting over control with you... Lord, sometimes we just uh, really struggle. and So I pray, Lord, in this summer fast that you would help us to know what we need to give up. And God, that we could give this up symbolically that we're giving control to you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the gift of your presence. God, would you just reveal yourself to us in an incredible way. God, we want to be followers of Jesus. We don't want to just sit on the fence and when it's convenient but Lord we want to be all in, all in. And so God, I pray that you would help us that as followers of Jesus that Lord, uh, we would have that self-control. Lord, take us from here with an incredible sense of your presence and your power in Jesus name.